The Giants put up 34 points and still found a way to lose. We'll look back at the last second 37-34 loss to the division rival Cowboys and some promising signs we saw from Big Blue, despite falling to 0-5 on the season. Our special guest this week is one of my favorite all-time teammates, Super Bowl 42 champion offensive lineman, Rich Soybert. Come on down and join us for a new episode of Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome back to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, now on Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. But if you're an Apple Podcast user, give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. We appreciate your support. While you're there, you can subscribe to the new New York Post Jalen Rose podcast, Renaissance Man, as well. Joining Blue Rush today is Super Bowl forty-two champion Giants offensive lineman, Rich Soybert, your host of Blue Rush, our longtime Giants beat writer for the Post, Paul Schwartz, and two-time Super Bowl champion Giants kicker, Lawrence Tynes. Tynes will give us his first edition of Tynes Take a little bit later in the show, and follow the guys on Twitter as well, at NYPost underscore Schwartz and at LT4Kicks. Tynesy, Paulie, let's get the show rolling, fellas. Paul, no more attaboys. The Giants are 0-5. Oh, Lawrence, look, there's a lot to digest from this game. 37-34, last second loss to the Cowboys. A lot to digest, regurgitate, heartburn, agita, all that stuff. But after the game, I found it very interesting what some of these players were saying. Blake Martinez, a guy we've had on the podcast, intelligent, introspective player, said, it's at the point in time that there's enough of this. We're so close. We're getting there. It's time to win. This is a results business. We need to go out there and win get the job done, and it's time for that now. Logan Ryan, another veteran guy of safety, said, look, we scored on defense. We did a lot of good things, but we're not getting any more attaboys. No more pats on the back. At this time, it's done. The fan base deserves wins, and we're going to do what we have to do to get some wins for the fans and for ourselves because we deserve it, and Coach Judge deserves it. Lawrence, do they deserve it, or did they get what they deserved yesterday? You get what you deserve in the NFL. And like they said, there's no attaboys. The honeymoon is over. We're five games into this season. I think you can give them a little bit of a little leash early in the season, but that leash is over, tightened up. They are 0-5. They should realistically be a two-win team by now if they could finish football games. Yesterday, they should have finished the game. Ball in hand, can't get it done. So here we are again talking about another loss. Gut-wrenching. And this one hurt a little more. I don't know why, but watching it, the excitement of the the 14-0 start, and then they just kind of went flat for two and a half quarters, and then there was more life a little bit at the end. Very, very – they're a frustrating football team, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's going to get any easier the rest of the way. Part of me, Lawrence, with these guys saying, okay, enough is enough, it's time to win. If they were going to Seattle next week, I'm not sure these guys would be saying that. They know who they're playing next week. They're playing the Washington football team. That is, you know, the soft touch on the schedule at home. I think there's an inkling there. Some of these veteran guys are not dummies. And they look at this and say, it's time to win. And oh, by the way, who do we have next week? Oh, yeah. So I think there's part of that there. Now, you mentioned, Lawrence, this one hurt more. I think, yes, when a team scores a bunch of points and still loses, it hurts more. The penalties. I want you to break down. No one can do this better than you. The Giants had two touchdowns called back, okay? The first one set up this fake punt. 
it was done beautifully. Evan Ingram is running off the field, right? Oh, he's running off the field. And then he stops and sets and he's wide open and he catches a touchdown pass from the punter, Riley Dixon, and it's called back. What happened? What did you see? You must have been thrilled when you saw that play as a special teams guy and then flag. Yeah, that was a great call. Obviously, they saw something on film where they could sneak that in. And Evan Ingram, that was obviously called in the huddle on the uh, previous offensive play because Evan Ingram knew to stay on the field and go to his post. This was a little bit of I'm better than you because it was judged to some extent in Thomas McGahee against Coach Fossil, who everyone deems as the best special teams coach in the NFL. So I think a lot of judges' anger when it didn't work was, dang it, I could have shoved it right up, you know what. And It worked, right? We had it. it. it We had it. It worked. But on these fakes, on these fakes, Cam Fleming caught a lot of heat. This is on Riley Dixon. Riley Dixon is the quarterback of that play, okay? He needs to make sure everyone is set. And listen, Riley Dixon is not under center, and he's not behind the line very much, calling plays or a cadence. He jumped the gun a little bit. He saw Evan Ingram out there. He knew it was going to work, and he jumped the gun, and he just snapped it a millisecond too fast. He should have scanned the line left to right always. And obviously, where was Cam Fleming on the left side? He wasn't set. He has to look for the inside guy to get set before the outside guy can get set. And it was just bang, bang, great call. Again, discipline. I think this is a disciplined football team to some extent, but man, what a heartbreaking play. Yeah, when you practice it and it works, and you know, as you know, Lawrence, you have to wait for the look, right? You say, look, yeah. if we get this look, we're going to call this. And they got the look, they called it, they had them stymied. And this was at 17-17, right after Daniel Jones lost the ball on a fumble. And now it's from 17-3 to at 17-17. And wow, the Giants come right back with this trick play. And wow, this is going to be some heck of a game. That just took the life right out of him. Joe Judge said, to be honest with you, I was mad at our execution that took points off the board. That was it, point blank. He fired that headset down pretty good. I mean, I don't know if that thing was working again after that because he knew it. That was brutal. You'll never be able to run that play again this year because every team you play is going to make sure, hey, they're going to coach it up. They're going to look to the sideline for the lonely end, whatever you want to call it. It's just not going to work again, and that's the frustration. You get one shot to do that. They did everything right except get set. And so, unfortunate play. They lose four points there. Obviously, Graham Gano was on fire and, and, and made the field goal. But, yeah, that, that's a tough one. And then, you know, maybe somewhat controversial, but I don't think undeserved. Daniel Jones throws a pass to Darius Slayton for a touchdown. Slayton was great. I mean, Slayton was a, was tremendous. Yep. His tip tiptoes on the sideline. This is an open play. It's a great play. Damian Ratley, the new Fairly new receiver gets called for offensive pass interference, a pick play. What Slayton said was the play wasn't designed to pick anybody. You know, this was not a pick play. It's something that just happened incidentally. What did you see on that play? I thought it was a touch call, but it was not the wrong call, I don't think. Yeah, it could have went either way. I mean, it looked, you know, he did get set like he was running just a little curl route right there, and and it just happened to bang into a DB. We've seen it called. We've seen it not called. I think Romo and Nance said it was looked like he was running a route. Just an unfortunate play, but, you know, you make your own luck in the NFL. You know, calls are going to go your way. They're going to go against you. Just not enough calls going for us right now, but there's other issues. That, that was a great play, and obviously, again, Gano comes in, saves them, makes a long field goal there. So, you know, we left, what, eight points out there on those two plays because yes. we did, you know, Graham was able to convert, and he had a hell of a day. 
you sometimes you see these receivers when they're when running those routes, they kind of put their arms up in the air, you know, like they show the they show the official, look, I'm not blocking, I'm not, you know what I mean? They kind of sell it. Ratley didn't sell it, and that's that's no. a problem. That's a problem. Now, after this game, Joe Judge, they're not 0-5 only. He's 0-5. I mean, he's got a big fat zero in his coaching career now. I mean, he hasn't yeah. broken that maiden, as they say, right? Like a horse. And he said, well, that's all that really matters. Someone, he was asked after the game about progress. You know, you're seeing progress, which is a word you and I are kind of like want to stick our finger in our throat, right? Yeah. Progress. I mean, enough. Yeah. He said, well, that's all that really matters, to be honest with you. The progress that we're making right now, the record will come in time. Obviously, we're not happy about the losses. That's not what we do here. I would argue it is what they do here. That yeah, they're 12 and 41. It's not all on him. But he said, I've seen progress. What do you make of that, Lawrence? That that's all that really matters now is progress. I mean, I, I don't know about that one. Yeah, I that's obviously there's some some value to saying that, but you look out your window and across the the Hudson River, and there's a thriving metropolis over there that only accepts winning. And he needs to understand. I know he understands where he's at, but of course we've we've referenced this before. It's different. If he was going into MetLife Stadium this Sunday, oh boy, with fans, I mean it, it's a different animal. So they're fortunate to some degree to not have these diehard Giants fans in that stadium paying their hard-earned money to come watch this team. I think he is saying some of the right things, so the team hears them. But you've got to win games and. They'll have a chance this week. I think it'll be their best chance, to be honest, this season. So they need to get a win, and so we can change the narrative a little bit and give this team some confidence. I think they have good players. I think they have some limitations. But this team is, you know, I'm starting to see some sulking shoulders and some uncertainty, and that's not a place you want to be as a pro football player. Well, I, I don't know why. I mean, we talk about human nature, and and they, they yep. it's, it's human nature for a reason. You know, it's in yeah. our nature. If you fail – Every single time you try something, I don't know why you cannot have sulking shoulders. It's just, it's just, it's, it's not even controversial. It's, it's natural. Uh, yep. uh, now, now, did you see that on, on the last, the defense comes out, right? Now the defense played well against the Rams. They played not nearly as well against a very explosive Cowboy team. Very explosive. Now, Andy Dalton's in the game. He takes the Cowboys 72 yards in four plays. Bing, 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 bing. Michael Gallup, who had not been really heard of most of this game, makes two tremendous grabs. Tremendous. And and the, the killer was a 38-yarder over Ryan Lewis. Ryan Lewis is now the third, second cornerback they're trying. James Bradbury's been great. Uh, we did not hear Amari Cooper's name much at all yesterday, and they set up an easy field goal for Zerline. I know there's no such thing as easy field goals, but this is an sure. easy field goal. I mean, the defense, they caved in at the time when the expectation was they would cave in. That is just brutal. Yeah, they had held them you know, in check. Gallup and Cooper didn't do a whole yep. lot. I would imagine coverage was rolled to Cooper, and then obviously Lamb had a nice game. I thought Ryan Lewis had good coverage here. He just lost his footing late, and then he kind of stumbled and – it was a hell of a catch, and then obviously you can get into the holding calls on those previous two plays as well that Twitter is in uproar about. But you make your own luck in the NFL, and you know what? Losing is, has become a habit for this organization. Winning's a habit, losing's a habit. And until they win a football game, you know we're going to keep picking against them, and we're going to keep having anxiety every time we turn the TV on on Sunday. Yeah, it was a good play. It was a really good play. And and the Giants defense made the Cowboys make a really good play. Now, the flip side is 
The Giants don't make those really good plays. Daniel Jones had the ball with a chance to win it. Again, again I think we're going to differ a little bit on this. I mean, I saw him running for his life. I mean, he made a couple of great throws earlier in the game, rolling out. I don't know if they were design rollouts or not. It looked like they were get me the hell out of this collapsing pocket rollouts, you know, on the money to Darius Slayton on the sideline. But on this last drive before the game winning for the Giants had a chance to win a game and they just went nowhere. They went nowhere. And, and I look at it and say their protection just does not hold up and their receivers really don't get open. And that is something I was saying a lot during the last years of Eli Manning. And finally people said, look, you're an apologist for this guy, Eli Manning. Am I being a little bit of an apologist for Daniel Jones here? A little bit. Uh, Yeah, because I I think you have to just elevate your game to some extent. I will say this, though. It seems like he he makes one read, maybe two. He never gets to three or four, and Slayton's his guy. If Slayton's not there, it seemed like he didn't ever – throw it to anybody else. I don't know how many targets everyone else had. I really love watching football games when Tony Romo's calling them because he gives you so many insider thoughts as a quarterback. Evan Ingram, we've talked about him at length. He was really hard on him for a route he ran, and it was just a little stick route. He he widened it. The DB cut under him. It was in the third quarter. It was a terrible route. I'm starting to think, and I don't know this, that Evan Ingram – as good an athlete as he is, is a terrible route runner. There's no reason he shouldn't be open. I mean, he, he he's going to win the matchup in terms of physical skills every time against a linebacker, and he's just not open enough. And so Daniel Jones, to me, looked like yesterday, I'm looking for Slayton. If he's not there, I'm going to backpedal or I'm going to try and roll out. He was throwing off his back foot so much yesterday. We got to get some more targets. I don't know if Shepard coming back will obviously help, but I think it will. He likes Shepard, and so we need to get him back. Well, to your point, Darius Slayton, 11 targets, the next uh, receiver, Golden Tate, five. And Evan Ingram is becoming the anti-Jason Witten. Now, they just played the Cowboys, right? I mean, Evan Ingram athletically and and Jason Witten athletically, you will take Evan Ingram 10 out of 10 times. But there is, right, there is a feel, there's a sense, there's a sitting on a route and sensing where the defense is. And Evan Ingram just does not have that sense. I mean, that's what you're saying. If you are faster and more agile than your defender, you should get open unless you don't have the sense. And he doesn't have the sense. That's he has to be doing. a terrible route runner. He must yeah. not recognize zone, man. He's not fitting into those little holes is what we call them in between coverages and linebackers. Caden Smith, more along the lines of kind of what a Jason Witten was. I mean, he does make plays, but it's early in games, and then you never hear from him again. I don't understand why he can't be a chain mover. There's two ways to look at the Dak Prescott injury, okay, from a completely Giants-centric point. I mean, they didn't really knock the quarterback out, but the quarterback, the, the great starting quarterback goes out, and that should have been a tremendous momentum turner. On the first play, Andy Dalton comes in, he gets sacked. Right Later in the game, he fumbles, just loses the snap, and Blake Martinez recovers it. So Andy Dalton, yes, they don't say he's um, ain't chopped liver, right? That's not your – he's not. But he's not a guy who should lead your team to victory in this situation. The human side of it with Dak, Daniel Jones went over and said something to him. I thought it was very classy. Jason Garrett went off his sideline across the field to console Dak Prescott. Uh, This was a – national NFL story now when this quarterback gets hurt before he gets paid he's making 31 million but he's not gotten paid yet what is the Dr. Tynes what is the prognosis here with Dak Prescott I think he'll be fine obviously it's going to be a a pretty much a a long road to recovery but he is a quarterback you know he, he does use his feet to some extent but he's not one of the guys we would call a running quarterback I think he'll make a recovery he's a hard working guy 
But to your point, I love seeing teams and players from both sides come together when a player gets hurt. For 60 minutes, you hate each other. But a lot of these guys are friends off the field. The mutual respect players have for one another, coaches have for these players. Jason Garrett obviously spent a ton of time with Dak, cares about him, loves him. You hate to see injuries in pro football. It's part of the game. And you hate to see a player that we know should have had already had a long-term, comfortable contract get hurt and here we go again. It's going to be a topic of conversation in the offseason because I don't know Dak, but everything you hear and read about and see, he's an awesome guy. Yeah, he's very popular. Before we wrap up, Lawrence, I we remiss. We have to play a fun number game here, right? You, I like giving you numbers, and yep. I think you'll figure out what these numbers are. What do these numbers mean to you, Lawrence? 55, 50, 54, and, oh, by the way, 28. What do those numbers mean? Brilliant! The Scotsman! Absolutely brilliant he was yesterday. No Giants kicker has ever kicked three field goals, not even Lawrence Tynes, of 50 or more yards. No, he uh, Graham's got a little more horsepower than old LT had. So he's <laughs> got a little bit more power in that right leg of his. He was a track star in Florida, too. A lot of people don't know that. We'll have him on the show one day and talk about that. He had a phenomenal game. And I'll tell you what, I've watched Graham a lot, played against him in the division. We all seen him hit a 63-yarder against us to beat us. He is kicking as well as I've ever seen him. Again, guys, before we hand it off to Tynes, who has a great a Tynes take segment as he talks about Daniel Jones, let me just hop in and say one thing, and that is this. New York sports stinks right now. And I had a tweet that kind of blew up, and Bills fans are coming after me as they are the only team geographically in the state of New York. But I'm talking about New York City sports. The Giants are 0-5. The Jets are 0-5. The Yankees were just eliminated. The Mets missed the playoffs. The Rangers are celebrating a number one pick. The Islanders didn't win the finals. I know they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. It is just putrid, the state of sports right now. The Knicks are the Knicks. They have won the same amount of NBA championships as J.R. Smith has now won as he got his second with the Lakers. And the Nets are still semi-irrelevant. So if you're a New York City person, you have pride in your city. You're from Brooklyn. You're from Queens. You're from Long Island. You have pride in where you're from. But right now, if you're a fan of these teams, there's not a ton of pride going on because it's just losses after losses after losses. And we need to get back to winning ways here. So that's all I got to say about that is let's, let's get back in the winning column here in New York. On the Daniel Jones front, here's the first edition of Tyne's Take. Is Daniel Jones the answer? I'm asking all of Giants Nation, is Daniel Jones the answer at quarterback for the New York football Giants? I think he is. It's well documented. But with each loss down the stretch at the end of games, I lose a little faith. In week three of the 2019 season against the Bucks, Daniel Jones gave us life. He gave us energy. Most importantly, he gave us hope. That benching our favorite New York Giants quarterback of all time was the right move. He wowed us with his athleticism, speed, arm. He even looked like Eli, but more fleet of foot. He showed us he was clutch by leading a game-winning drive, just like Eli used to do. The following week against Washington, DJ wins again, 2-0 as an NFL starter. We have our new quarterback, we said. 2-0 is a good start, but it does not get you Toyota, DirecTV, and ESPN commercial deals. Daniel Jones went on to start 13 games of the 2019 season, he went 3-10, but Giants Nation was not swayed at all. This is our guy. Give us some linemen, they said. Fire the coach, they said. John Mara, fire Shermer, hires Joe Judge. We draft a left tackle with the fourth pick of the 2020 NFL Draft. Problem solved, right? Opening week 2020 season. What do we all say? The Giants are going to be better. We're going to win some games this year. 
I can't wait to see Daniel Jones in his second season with these new coaches and offensive line. Sure, we're better. But the barometer has been so set so low over the last seven seasons that losing by seven has become the norm and acceptable. Week one, loss. Good Pittsburgh team. Ah, we played better, that we said. Week two, Daniel Jones, ball in hand, can't win the game. Week three, disaster. Week four, ball in your hands, chance to win a game against the Rams, can't do it. Week five, we all saw it. Look, I'm a huge Daniel Jones fan. It's well documented, I promise you. You won't find a bigger Daniel Jones fan than me. Even Tony Romo said he was the, the real deal on the broadcast yesterday. I recognize personnel problems. I do. They're real. But it's time to take the next steps as a starting NFL quarterback. Right or wrong, NFL quarterbacks' names are tied to wins and losses. Daniel, the clock is ticking. We need to see the it factor of Eli Manning, Phil Simms, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, New York royalty. You have to win in New York if you want to stick around. Hell, I think Giants Nation would just take a turnover-free football game at this point. We don't need to win them all. We know you're not playing with a full deck. We get it. Just give us fans a little bit of that life, a little bit of that energy, and most importantly, that hope that you gave us way back in week three of the 2019 season against the Bucks. Looking like Eli is one thing, winning like him is a whole nother conversation. Joining us now is an offensive lineman that played his entire 10-year NFL career with the New York Giants from 2001 through 2010, where he would become a Super Bowl champion. He was a starting guard on that Giants 2017 that went on and win Super Bowl 42 in 2008. He also would check in at tight end a lot. So at the stadium, you might hear the nicest announcement possible. Number 69 reporting as eligible. He now coaches football at Wachung Hills Regional High School. It's the big fella. Number 69, Rich Soybert. Rich, welcome <laughs> to the show. Jake Brown, Lawrence Tynes, Paul Schwartz. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk to all of you guys. Yeah, and you have your first game of the season. Will it be uh, on ESPN 8, the Ocho tonight versus Hillsboro, Sean O'Hara's old team? It's going to be like on YouTube feed, right? If you want, uh, Tynes can retweet it for me so we can get a lot of viewers. Um, no, we're excited, right? These kids in high school, uh, with everything going on in the world right now, they really need, I truly believe they need the game of football. So I'm excited for tonight. I'm excited for my boys. I'm excited for the team we're playing. And yes, it is Sean O'Hara's old team. So it's a little extra motivation for myself. Hey, Rich, it's Paul. Good to hear you. You're a guy who, when people said to me, he's going to become a high school coach, I said, yeah, that figures. But I want want to just reminisce for a minute. I remember seeing you in 2001 in Albany, New York, in your first training camp. And after that training camp, I had no inkling. You're a guy from Western Illinois, and you were born for this nickname, right? The Western Illinois nickname was what, Rich? Leathernecks. Yeah, we're the Leathernecks. Let's go. The Leathernecks. I mean, if, if anyone was born to be a Leatherneck, it was Rich Soybert. And I remember the, after that first training camp, driving home and stopping at the first rest stop, the new Baltimore rest stop about 20 miles outside of Albany, I saw you. And I think I've told you the story before. You and two other offensive, beefy offensive linemen sitting there eating you know, burgers and things after your first training camp. I think you both still had ankle tape on. You didn't even take it off after training camp. And I remember thinking to myself, Man, these three guys, all undrafted free agents, what are they going to do with their lives after they get cut? Just your journey is incredible for a guy who was undrafted and then to be a starting lineman for the New York football giants. You remember that first training camp and what you were thinking when you left there? Oh, I do. You know, um, 
the, the buddies I was with was uh, Ray Radziniak, who we were roommates, and I believe it was Ross Lodge, who was he, he was drafted later in the round. We, we both grew up in Wisconsin, so we came pretty close. Your first training camp in the NFL, especially mine, you know, you have no clue what to expect. You go back to those nice dorm rooms in Albany and get on online and you start seeing what the reporters are writing about you and about the team and just use that stuff for motivation right being a free agent coming from a smaller school you have to work harder than anybody else and I think that's kind of was what I try to do throughout my entire career right I'll work anybody they try to replace me with and just go hard you know uh, I loved playing the game of football and I think if you don't truly love it it's very hard to do right football is one of the toughest sports ever first training camp it goes quick right you can't stay awake in meetings I remember plays in training camp that I wish I had back right pulling out on scout team and Strahan pretty much knocking my helmet off. That's what made me better, better, right? Going against a really good defense, going against a really good defensive lineman my rookie year, not not really worrying about who you're going against, just trying to get better yourself and figuring it out. And, you know, I had some really good role models to look up to on that team. You know, Luke was playing left guard. And Dusty Ziegler and Lomas Brown and Glenn Parker, right, guys that played the game a long, long time. They took me under their wing, even though they abused the shit out of me. I learned a lot from them. We used to have the Rich Soiber over under. How many days until Rich gets in a fight at training camp? It was always less Three. than five. Yeah, it, you know, it happens, right? And, you know, Lawrence, a lot of times I wasn't the one that started them, right? But, like, I'm not going to let anybody talk smack to any of my teammates. And especially if you're a rookie and especially if you're a high-drafted rookie, that's playing on the defense, right? I'm, I'm looking for them. We never heard nobody with fights, and after the fights, we were, you know, buddies about it. It happens up front, especially on the old line, right? Snee would shove a kid into my back on purpose just to piss me off, and, <laughs> and, uh, try, and try to get my my tempers line. I, I think the best fight that I can remember, Lawrence. I'm sure you remember this one. It was the first practice in the new stadium, right? JPP was a rookie, yes. Yeah, and Snee shoves, Snee shoves JPP in my back. And the rumor was JPP wasn't really listening that much in that D-line room, being a rookie and all that good stuff. He shoves him in my back on purpose, right? I turn around. We start the fight. Coughlin was screaming bloody murder, right? Because he, he told us prior, there's no fighting in the new stadium with fans watching, blah, 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 right? I get my ass treated out by coach. And um, Snee's over there chuckling. And then after we watched film, Coach Coughlin came back and uh, he apologized saying, yes, I see you and start that fight uh, somebody else did I'm like yeah he was your son-in-law but um <laughs> it, it's all fun and games right you know how it goes sometimes in practice you need to get a little spark and my first fight in training camp was against oh my gosh I'm gonna forget his name it was that DN Paul you know him the DN from Staten Island what was his name oh Frankie Ferrara yeah Frankie Ferrara during that has Staten Island written all over it he was a stuntman for the Sopranos. He and his father yeah, were both stuntmen. They, Frankie Ferrara Sr. was the stuntman for James Galdonfini. And Frankie Ferrara was in Stuntman too. He was one of my favorite players. Yes, Frankie Ferrari. Yeah, I can't Frankie believe Ferrara, you two fall. But one of the first one-on-ones in training camp, right? He, he, my hands go to his face. His hands go to my face. I shove him late. I'm walking back, and the assistant line coach goes, Rich, look out. <laughs> And here he was coming for me, right? But I think I caught him like a little hip toss. It's all fun and games, right? And Keith Hamilton, obviously, I credit a lot of my uh, learning how to uh, get after it in practice to him because going against Keith the Hammer in practice every day as a rookie will uh, will make you tough, right? It, it has to. If you're not tough against him, he's going to eat your lunch. So, First of all, no one, no, a reporter like me could never make money on you because when we would bet, you know, we used to bet on everything in training camp and the season, you know, things that you guys didn't know about because they was probably uncalled for. And we would say, okay, who who's going to have the first fight in training camp? And 
you couldn't get any odds on Rich Soybert. I mean, that was like one to five. You know, you had yeah. to pick somebody else. You watch the Giants. I know you're a loyal, big blue guy. You watched that game yesterday, and it's the worst part of the game, right? These injuries and the DAC injury. I hate to bring back a memory of yours. I mean, your leg shows the scars of your battles, right? In 2003, uh, can you just describe, and you obviously had a devastating lower leg injury. You got stepped on and it's amazing you could walk again, much less play football and win a Super Bowl. But when you see this Dak Prescott injury, does it kind of bring you back to that low point in your professional career? You know, it did. I was watching that game last night. We had a little walkthrough. I missed the first quarter and a half, but I got home and I was trying to catch up on fast forward the commercials and stuff and saw the play and watching it with my daughter, who's nine, and my middle son, who's 12. And, you know, they both looked at me and goes, is that what happened to you, Daddy? And it was, right? The game of football, it sucks. But if you play long enough, if you play hard enough, you don't want it to happen ever, obviously, but it just happens, right? And Dak, I don't know Dak at all, but he seems like a really good dude and a really good football player and a really good person and all the best to Dak. And hopefully, you know, they fix him. And he takes his rehab, and he's back better than ever because it's not fun, right? I was blessed to have really good doctors, really good trainers. I spent, you know, he spent pretty much all day every day with with those people. And my teammates, you know, lifted my spirits up. And Coach Coffin came in the next year when I was on IR. So, you know, you just wanted to uh, prove people wrong, right? People were saying I was done, but you wanted to prove them wrong, and you wanted to play football because I love the game so much. But it does suck, right? That Sean O'Hara, actually, uh, we have a group chat, right, with, with some of the offensive linemen because we, we like the bus ball still. We all were saying the same thing. And Sean goes, does that remind you of your leg? And I go, it, it does, right? Like, it almost looked the same. Uh, obviously, I, I got stepped on. He got rolled up on. He was a lot more calm than I was, I'll tell you that much. Uh, I remember that day like yesterday. I remember seeing Ronnie Barnes on the sideline looking at me, and he wasn't coming out to help me. It seemed like it took 30 minutes, but it probably only took 30 seconds. You know, once they give you a little medication, the pain goes away. And I was young, so at the time, he just picks me up and get me back out there. All right, that's all you want to do. Yeah. No, we remember that. The chat rooms are pretty popular amongst our D-line and O-line. We had Tolson on. They got a chat. Anyway, 2010, Rich, you played center for the majority of the season. And when it came to Pro Bowl balloting, everyone, <laughs> why, why, let's, why, we're going to bring this why? up. Listen, listen. You were a Pro Bowl football player to everyone in the organization because what happened is Sean O'Hara played maybe a couple of games that season, and he gets voted to the Pro Bowl. But everyone knew it was Rich Soybert playing center for us that season. But most players don't really look at that. They'll say, oh, who's the center for the Giants? Oh, it's O'Hara, right? But it wasn't. It was Rich Soybert. Does that still piss you off? I mean, to me, you're a Pro Bowl football player. You should have been voted in that year. And maybe you could take it out on Sean's high school team tonight. You know what's funny, Lawrence? As long as your uh, teammates and your coaches and the organization looks at you like that, it doesn't think in my mind, uh, I was never playing the game for that purpose, right? I want to give everything on the line for the guys next to me. It's the way offensive line works. Like, if you have a good year the year prior, you're going to go, you're going to keep going until uh, you're done playing, right? Take the names off the back of the jerseys. I am a Tom Coughlin kind of guy, right? Did it piss me off? Uh, you know, obviously it does because I never made it to, to uh, the Pro Bowl. And I thought I played pretty well that year and we had a really good team that year and all that good stuff, right? But it is what it is, right? Is if, if you know it and if I know it and everybody in the organization knows it, that's all that matters. And let's be honest, I uh, blew my knee out the last game of the season. So it wouldn't have mattered anyways, right? It would have pissed me off probably even more. Jerry Reese, the GM at the time, called you the MVP of that team in 2010. That's pretty good. Richie, in 2002, in that playoff game, would you have caught the ball if you would have not been dragged down by Chike Okafor 
in that crazy, crazy game in Candlestick Park? Would you have caught it? Well, that's a dumb question, right? You've been to every training camp practice up in Albany. Have you not been? Paul? There are no dumb questions, uh, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go but ahead. like yeah. we throw in fire calls in Albany every single week in practice, right? Seagulls was the holder. But this, this is after the fact, right? But Seagulls was the holder, and I always ran a corner out or, you know, whatever, 10-yard out or, you know, getting the end zone to score. And Seagulls always threw it to me, and I always caught it, right? Even when I played tight end in practice with Eli playing quarterback when I checked in, Eli would chuck the ball at parts of my body where if I didn't catch it, it was going to hurt me, right? Either my growing area or my head. And I caught everything. So I think I would have caught it. The question is, would I have scored, right? Because I think it was like on the five-yard line. So we were up by so many points, and we ended up choking that game away, which that will haunt every player on that team for the rest of their lives, right? But it should have been pass interference. We should have had a legal man downfield by somebody else on our team, and it should have been re-kicking the ball. So in the game of football, there's always plays in the game that are going to separate them, and uh, that's one of the plays that I wish we all would have had back. Yeah, and if that happened today in the world of Twitter and everything going on, God, that would be mm. insane. I don't think they would ever let the refs get away with that. They probably would have re-kicked that. You, you know, were a part of another memorable play. Two of the most memorable plays in Giants history. One went a great way. The other, like you just talked about, went a bad way. The David Tyree catch. We talked with Sean O'Hara about this. We talked with all the old linemen from that team about this. Can you take us through uh, that play? And, you know, you guys didn't do much blocking, but Eli kind of just uh, made uh, it work. Uh, yeah, they caught us on a little twist, right? She didn't block anybody the entire fourth quarter because Junior was over him and he was dropping into coverage. They caught me and Sean like, on a little EN twist. We were off levels. They caught us. Uh, we knew it was coming, but you know, they're a good defense as well. But, yeah, we got beat, but we never stopped, right? We still kind of peeled back and tried to get him off of Eli. And Eli made the most athletic play I've ever seen him make in his entire life. And the only thing I remember is seeing him chuck the ball down the middle of the field up until watching the replays after the game on Sports Center and whatnot. Like, he didn't realize how he caught the ball, right? He didn't know that he caught it, and we're up and running the next play. So, hell of a play. I'm glad I was on the right side of that one, let's be honest. Tyree made a hell of a catch, and, you know, Eli just getting out of the situation that we were all in. He uh, bailed us out, right? So I always like to joke with people saying, if we didn't get beat, maybe that play never happens if we don't win the game. But it all starts up front, good or bad, right? The play starts up front. I'm glad Eli bailed us out. So, Rich, you were you were always on field goal team, obviously. Yesterday there was a play in the game where Cam Fleming doesn't come set. And I spoke out in Fleming's defense yesterday and blamed the holder, Riley Dixon. It is it's the holder. It, 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 yeah. Thank you. Right. And so it's his job to make sure everyone's set. Now, that's a bang-bang play. You want it to happen quick. And Riley Dixon certainly got excited. But that play is not on Fleming. I don't care what anyone says. He's the last guy in on the line. He can't get set till the guy next to him gets gets down in his stance. So Riley Dixon, would you agree? You've been on fake field goals. We've ran fires in practices. The holder is the quarterback on that play. He is, right? We always went. I always say Figs, right? Because Figs was the holder the longest part of my career. You'd say, down. And then he, he would scan he would scan the front. You know this. Like you probably don't know this because you were looking at you were I don't know what kickers look at before they kick, but I'm sure you're looking at the spot, right? And yeah. then he would say set. And then we would snap it whenever after he said set. So I played end on field goal and I could never get set until the guy inside of me got set. So I have not really seen that play to be honest with you. That was early in the game when I was still uh, when I was still working. <laughs> the guard can't get set until the center gets set. The tackle can't get set until the guard gets set. And tight end to the tackle and a wing to the tight end, right? They're all excited. When you when you have the fake called, obviously, I'd be excited, right? If I was playing tight end, I'd bank for that stuff every time I was playing tight end. Throw me the ball, coach. But um, I, I want to put on that one guy. It's a, uh, it's a team mistake, you know? It's, not, it's never one person's fault. Rich, we mentioned before you are a high school coach, Watchung Hills High School. Um, is that something 
that you always had in the back of your head? You know, I want to stay in football. Um, I want to be an offensive line coach in college, in the NFL. I want to be a high school coach. I mean, how did you kind of get into that? And just take us through a little bit. I mean, this had to be the, the most difficult lead up to a season. You said your first game is just this week, you know, with coronavirus and everything. I mean, um, uh, you know, it's got to be very difficult. We hear about coronavirus from a lot of different angles, but from a high school coach's point of view, it must be just been an agonizing run up here. Yeah, you know, at our school in the state of New Jersey, if one kid uh, tests positive, you know, you're, you're shut down for the two weeks. But I got into coaching football pretty much. I moved to California after I got hurt and I rehabbed a little bit. And I, I moved out west for a couple of years. And I met a good friend, Chad Henry, who was a head coach at a little private school. And they wrote me into being an online coach. I loved it. Me and my wife decided to move back to New Jersey. I moved to Warren, New Jersey, which I love. And I got approached to be the assistant coach there. Coached the online the first year I lived here. And then the head coach moved on. And, you know, people encouraged me to apply for the head job. And I did. And I got it. And I'm, I'm glad I did, right? I love coaching the kids. You know, wins or losses, it is what it is. But just watching these young men grow up and become who they are is from freshman to a senior year. Last year was my first time. The freshman came in. I was the head coach. So I had him for four years. And it's a special bond between a coach and a player. And I had some really good coaches through my uh, through my life, right, from middle school to high school to college to the pros. And I still talk to my coaches. And I just, I just want to be that guy, right? I just want to help these kids out, help them through life. If they want to get to college to play football, I want to do everything I can to, uh, to help them get there. And, you know, our program has, has really turned around here at Wachung. And we play, I think, one of the toughest public school schedules in the state of New Jersey, Group 5 schools. So every week we, we have a tough one. Our kids are bought in, right? They put team above self. And I think once you get high school kids to do that, I think your high school team is, is going in the right direction. And I just hope I got these boys ready. You know, like you said, with, with COVID going on, with, with limited everything, right, contact with these kids. And, you know, we just had nine days off of practice because of COVID and we had two practices and we played tonight. So I just hope I got these boys ready, right? I can do some workouts with them all, all I want this year. I just hope they're in shape. I hope they have fun. I hope they compete their asses off because uh, that, that's what it comes down to. And I encourage you guys, if you guys haven't watched a high school football game in a while, go watch it because I think it's, they're not getting free education for it. They're not, you know, getting paid for it. They're out there because they, they, they truly love the game. Rich, is the Wachung Hills football team on Coughlin time? It's hard. You know, we try to be. I know I am. I'm. Listen, if, if you come late, you're going to run, right? Like, it's, it is what it is. I think just being on time in life, right, it, it means a big deal. Like, if you leave high school and you show up late to your college practice, what's going to happen to you, right? If you show up late to your college classes, What's going to happen to you? You're going to you're going to get left behind. I don't have my clock set five minutes early, but Florence can attest to this. Once you've done that for so long, it's kind of hard not to be early. It's pretty hard to show up late to something, and when you do, like I feel like crap if I show up late to, to anything, right? Because I'm like, oh, Coughlin will kick my ass if I show up late. And back down, <laughs> back down deep in my mind, that's the same way I think, right? I got to be early for everything, and I tend to believe that I have a lot of values I coach at, and I try to hold my kids to a high standard and and make sure they're on time and make sure they're ready to go. All right, Super Bowl champion, Wachung Hills head coach. Coach, we'll be watching on YouTube tonight. Number 69, Rich Soiber. Appreciate you coming on, man, and uh, we'll check in with you later this season. All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it for having me. You guys stay safe and go Warriors. That says sayonara to episode 43, the Spider Lockhart edition of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Please give Blue Rush a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and write in a nice review. If you don't use Apple, find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Google. For Paul Schwartz, I'm Lawrence Tynes. We'll be back on Thursday previewing the Giants matchup with the Washington football team. Chat with you fine folks then, and stay safe.